It's Wednesday, February 28th. Today's WBFO brief was recorded at around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. A long-sought improvement at both of Erie County's jails is now in place. Sheriff John Garcia says the deployment of body-worn cameras has been completed, so any corrections officer or deputy in a housing unit will be wearing a camera when interacting, interacting rather with an incarcerated individual. A total of 175 cameras were provided to the Erie County Holding Center with another 120 allocated for the Erie County Correctional Facility. In a release statement, the Erie County Legislature's Republican Minority Leader John Mills says, quote, this measure will protect both the officers and incarcerated individuals. The panel tasked with ensuring women and minority-owned contractors are hired for the new stadium project will no longer meet. According to a statement from Erie County Legislature Chair April Baskin, the new stadium inclusion task force has been disbanded. The Buffalo News reports the task force that was mainly composed of community advocates for minority businesses had many responsibilities that overlapped with the Community Benefits Oversight Committee. That nine-person panel includes three members that represent the Buffalo Bills. And the Erie County Sheriff's Department says it has arrested a 39-year-old Buffalo man, charging him with an extensive list of narcotics-related charges. Officials say the arrest of Donnell Cathcart followed a year-long investigation that was in coordination with the Buffalo Police Department, the Erie County District Attorney's Office, and Homeland Security. Governor Kathy Hochul is expanding a program to put mental health clinics in schools. The governor says it's essentially important given the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on students. Young people who are seniors today, who are freshmen when the pandemic started, they're still dealing with the effects of that disconnection from their support system, from their friends and the classroom and the activities and the sports. And it really has had a long-term effect on many young people. The governor's office is devoting $20 million in state funding to the project. Police with the NFTA are asking for the public for help as they seek the driver who left the scene of a Tuesday morning crash at the Buffalo Niagara International Airport. Officials say a 44-year-old Williamsville man was walking on an airport access road when he was struck by a vehicle believed to be a late-model black Nissan Pathfinder. The vehicle is likely to have sustained front-end damage. The unidentified pedestrian was taken to the hospital and was listed in serious condition. Anyone with information is asked to contact NFTA police. In Niagara Falls, police are investigating a crash in which the vehicle ended up in a hotel pool. A 61-year-old woman was operating the vehicle on Buffalo Avenue when she apparently accelerated into the courtyard by Marriott Hotel. The driver and a three-year-old passenger were evaluated at the scene by emergency personnel and did not require further medical attention. The building sustained significant damage. The WBFO Brief Podcast is made possible by Canisius University. Join Canisius on Saturday, March 2nd for a Discovery Day event to learn how your high school student can prepare for college now. Register today at canisius.edu slash visit. Well, Governor Kathy Hochul is defending the decision by Democrats in the state legislature to alter congressional district maps recommended by a bipartisan commission. As WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt reports, the new maps are widely interpreted as giving an edge to Democrats. Democrats who lead the Senate and Assembly are drawing new lines for the 2024 congressional races after rejecting maps approved 9-1 to by the bipartisan Independent Redistricting Commission. 
The changes could benefit Democratic incumbents Jamal Bowman in the Hudson Valley and Tom Swasey. He recently regained his Long Island-based seat after George Santos was expelled in late 2023. The new lines could also potentially disadvantage Syracuse-area Republican Brandon Williams, whose district now includes more Democratic-leaning voters. The new maps could be approved as early as Thursday. Governor Hochul, speaking at an unrelated event in Schenectady, says she wants the lines to be in place as soon as possible. Petitioning for primary races has already begun. There's a sense of urgency around this. People are out there with their petitions already. So I'm anxious to have this uh, chapter wrapped up as soon as possible. I believe the legislature wants this wrapped up uh, within the next day or so. Uh, So, no, we're taking it very seriously. One of Hochul's options is what's known as a message of necessity. Under state law, legislation needs to be made public three full days before it's voted on. But governors can send the message of necessity to speed up that time frame. Hochul says she hasn't yet decided what she'll do. There are options available to me as governor. I'm having conversations with the legislature on what that looks like, but but they have to finalize what they would want to vote on in the first place uh, before anything else can happen. This is the legislature's second attempt to redraw the congressional lines following the 2020 census. Lines created in 2022 were rejected by the state's high court as unconstitutionally gerrymandered. A court-ordered special master then drew the lines for the 2022 elections. Critics say that contributed to four seats flipping from Democrats to Republicans and helped the GOP narrowly regain the U.S. House. Republicans who are in the minority in the state legislature accuse Democrats of thwarting the will of the people. In 2014, New York approved a constitutional amendment that set up the redistricting commission and limited lawmakers' ability to gerrymander districts to benefit one major political party over the other. Senator Jack Martins, a Republican from Long Island, briefly served on the redistricting commission. He says Democrats should have accepted what the bipartisan panel came up with. We should all, as a body, understand, and I hope we all do understand, that this is about fairness, process, and our responsibility to the residents and citizens of this great state to make sure that we move forward with a process that has actually worked against perhaps all odds. Hochul defends the Democrats' actions, saying that the Constitution allows the legislature to draw its own lines if it's not satisfied with the commission's option. It is the prerogative of the legislature to vote yes or no, and if they vote no, they have an alternative. That's exactly what is allowed in the Constitution, so they're wrong in their assessment. The governor says this is the first time that the state has completed redistricting since the state constitution was changed. She says there were bound to be glitches. Whenever the final vote is taken, it's not likely to be the end of the process yet. With the control of the House potentially at stake, it's expected that GOP lawmakers will challenge the Democrats' newest lines in court. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. In Chautauqua County, their industrial development agency is approving tax incentives for more than $20 million for the redevelopment of the former Silver Creek High School building. IDA's Mark Geis says the incentives are necessary to meet the demand for affordable senior housing. They really need all the assistance they can get, um, you know, with the cost of building materials, et cetera, and then what you get for rents. So um, this is one one of the tools, one of the incentives that um, will help them to uh, 
overcome those those uh, those gaps that they're going to experience. Guy says the project is not a done deal as the developers are still waiting on housing tax credits if completed. The project would create 54 apartments for seniors ages 62 and up. Well, the costs for hosting the FIFA World Cup continue to climb, and much of that will fall on the shoulders of Toronto taxpayers. Payers, rather, The city was named host of the 2026 World Cup two years ago, but as Dan Karpinchuk reports, the province says it will not be providing any more money. The latest estimate for Toronto to host the World Cup is $80 million more than expected. The price tag now stands at $380 million. The city will host the first-ever FIFA World Cup game in Canada including the team's opening match, and planning is already underway. Much of the added costs are being attributed to Toronto being awarded an extra match that officials had not accounted for. Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow on the increased costs. It's important that we are transparent, that we are realistic, and at the time, um, no one anticipated the rate of inflation of today. Premier Doug Ford's Ontario government has already pledged almost $100 million and this week said there would not be any more. But the World Cup will bring tourism money to the city, estimated at just under $400 million, and to the province, about $450 million. City Councillor Josh Matlow describes the situation as absurd. The amount of money that Toronto is putting into this versus other levels of government is embarrassing. There will be some money coming from the federal government in Ottawa, but it's not yet clear how much. Officials are still finalizing those details. For WBFO News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk in Toronto. A Buffalo developer will need to find alternatives to demolition after one Amherst home has been declared a historic landmark. WBFO's Alex Simone reports. The fate of 22 Chateau Terrace has been a concern for Amherst residents for weeks. But the property's new historic landmark designation means owner Benderson Development has to find an alternative to tearing down the property. Sam Smith, who supports keeping the home, says it's among the oldest in Snyder and one of only a few that has a stucco plaster exterior. If we are not being taught something, we are teaching ourselves and then having to teach others. So we've learned a lot. We've definitely have missed stuff and to the point where we feel like, yes, we're running behind. But that still doesn't mean you need to demolish some of the oldest commercial buildings in Snyder or not designate an entire property part of a historic district. The Historic Preservation Committee also has pledged its support for the local landmark designation. Prior to the official vote, multiple speakers questioned the board's motives, with the audience interjecting until board members opted for a five-minute recess. Despite the board unanimously designating the property a landmark, it's too late to completely prevent demolition since the garage was torn down in January. Town Supervisor Brian Culpa says residents aren't alone in their frustrations with how Benderson has handled the property. When the garage came down, I did very verbally at work session prior to the last public hearing express my outrage over the demolition of the garage. Expressed it that evening. Since then, the property's been looked after by police and code enforcement because I made it very clear that we weren't going to let anything else happen to the house. Benderson has not returned a request for comment, but previously expressed extreme opposition in a letter to the town board. Jessica Black says she and other residents would be willing to buy the property if that's what's needed to save the house. 
From Amherst Town Hall, this is Alex Simone, WBFO News. Don't forget to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team are made possible by our members. Thank you for listening. 